Welcome to Sunday evening service. We're glad you're with us again. Uh, we're going to continue our study out of the book of Galatians on law and grace, the continuation of last week's message. So let me invite you to open your Bible, please, to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 10, but we're only going to study tonight in depth uh, verses 8 through 10. And so Galatians 1, 6 through 10 is our reading. And the word of the Lord says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to give us understanding tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do come to you needing to hear your voice, needing to be taught by you, instructed by you. We need our minds to be opened by the power of your Spirit who lives within the heart of each believer. Uh, the preacher needs uh, to be an instrument in your hands tonight. And so we pray that you will help us tonight to hear what you have to say, that we might be strengthened in our faith, encouraged in our faith that we might become people who are stable, not blown about by every wind of doctrine or every teaching that comes down the pike, but solid in your word, solid in understanding your, your truth. So help us tonight. We'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I had to go to the dentist this week to get a tooth repaired. I broke a tooth while munching a pita chip on lunch, at lunch on Monday, and my dentist was kind enough to work me in on a Wednesday for an appointment. I went expecting a crown, and I was relieved to find that I only needed a filling. I was kind of celebrating that, because fillings are a lot cheaper than crowns. Well, this dentist is a good dentist, and he said, no, you, you just need a, a filling. So he got out his needle, and he went to work. He shot me up with Novocaine, and as he was doing that, I noticed that there was classic rock and roll that was playing in the background. This child, who's about the age of my oldest son, was sticking me with needles to the tune of Eric Clapton's Crossroads. Now, by the time the doc got around to filling my tooth, Bob Dylan was crooning like a rolling stone. Now, I listened to this music. It's just elevator music in a dentist office in these days. And I knew all the songs on the radio station because in the wasted years of my youth, that was my music. I couldn't help but reflect on the irony that my tooth was shot up to Clapton and filled up to Dylan. When I was a kid, I never dreamed that that music would become elevator music in a dentist office. I mean, what does it mean to go to Publix and buy your groceries to the pulsing rhythms of Paul Simon's Graceland? So I would now like to make an editorial comment. That is just plain wrong. To take something meant for one purpose and to twist it for another is exactly the way the devil does his work. Now you laugh. 
And you should laugh. That's meant to make you laugh. But think about it for a moment. Isn't this what the devil does to us all the time? He takes the good things that God has given us, things like food and drink, our sexuality, our possessions, our powers, our intellectual ability. These are good things that God has given us to use for our pleasure and for our benefit. And then he turns these things, these good things, he takes them and he twists them into traps that inevitably uh, snare the unwary among us. And that's what we're dealing with in tonight's lesson. Satan has been attacking God's people, the church, ever since Christ's ascension. And he's been doing that by taking things that God meant for good, religion, possessions, pleasures, and powers primarily, and by adding to them things that ruin the simple gospel of grace that they're founded on. The only truth that can truly reconcile the rift between God and man is the gospel of grace, and Satan always wants to pervert it and adulterate it so that it cannot do the work that God has designed it to do. So the big idea that we're wrestling with tonight is simply that God in his grace has provided everything needed for our salvation, and to add anything to the gospel that he has given us is to depart from true faith in him. Our study tonight is going to pick up where we left off last week, but I think it might be helpful to us to have some review of verses 6 and 7. We only got through that last week before we begin our in-depth study of verses 8 through 10. So you'll remember, if you were with us last week, that verses 6 and 7 deal with a false gospel and with false teachers. So there's a brief review of the lesson simply to remind you that the Galatians had put their faith in Christ under Paul's ministry, and they had accepted the only true gospel that is a real gospel. The only authentic gospel is the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace tells us that God has provided absolutely everything we need to be reconciled to him. That word reconciliation in scripture is very meaningful. Reconciliation in Scripture means to be put right with God, to have the relationship between God and man that's been ruptured by sin completely restored. As we read the verses 6 and 7, we learn that nothing can be added to that gospel without destroying it and turning it into a false gospel. The moment we add anything to this gospel that we have received, the plain gospel of grace, The gospel that tells us that in his son, Jesus Christ, God has taken care of every necessity, every need for our salvation. The moment we try to add anything to it, we corrupt it, and it's no longer a true gospel. It becomes a false gospel. Let me illustrate this. Suppose I have a wonderful cake to offer to you as a free gift. Let's suppose it's one of Nancy Lowe's wonderful coconut cakes. So I bring you this cake, and you look it over carefully. I offer it to you, and it looks beautiful. It's a beautiful cake, and you say, may I take a taste? And so you you take a fork, and you get a small bit of the cake from the bottom of the cake, and you sample it, and the taste you find is just superb. And so I say to you again, would you like to have this cake? It's a gift. 
No charge. It's free. And you say, well, yes, I'd love to have that cake. I'd like it very much. So to your delight, I hand you the cake. But then after a minute's pause, I say to you, now just hold still for a minute. The cake isn't really complete yet. I have to complete that cake. And to your horror, you watch me take out a box of Martin salt and pour it generously over the top of your beautiful cake. What just happened, you think? Well, the answer is that something that was perfectly good, that was healthy, that was useful, that was would have been a blessing to you and a benefit to you was in an instant turned into something that was only fit for the garbage bin. Now, how did that happen? It happened by adding something unnecessary to the cake. That, that addition ruined the whole thing. And in just that same way, anything added to the simple gospel of grace ruins the gospel and makes it fit for nothing. In the nearly 2,000 years of church history, the great struggle that the church has had has been to preserve the purity of the gospel against the mighty efforts of false teachers who insist that grace alone is not enough to reconcile man to God. We spoke last week about several iterations of this false gospel that are being preached and received in our day. We don't need to go through those again, but we can simply say that these falsehoods added to the gospel follow the same distressing pattern in every age. Someone always wants to add a requirement of religion or possessions or pleasures or powers to the simple gospel of grace. And the battle cry of these warriors against God's truth is always the same. They say, unless you also do this thing, you cannot be saved. That's where we ended last week. So tonight, let's pick up the remaining threads of our message to discover the seriousness of the matter that's before us and the strong medicine for the disease. First of all, in verses 8 and 9, the seriousness of the matter. You know, falling into one of these traps isn't a mere faux pas like sitting in somebody else's seat on, on a Sunday morning. This is serious stuff. Paul's reaction to the Galatians' acceptance of this false gospel was one of pure outrage. I mean, listen carefully to his words in Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In verse 8, he included himself and the angels as potential messengers of falsehood. Paul said, what if I come to you preaching to you a different gospel? Suppose I show back up and I say to you, you know, the gospel that I was preaching to you wasn't quite right. There's, there's this new thing that needs to be added to it. Paul said, what if that happens? What if I come preaching to you this false gospel? Or he said, what if an angel from heaven brought you a new gospel down on golden plates, suppose, supposedly from on high? And the angel said, you know, the gospel that you received really wasn't effective. It really didn't do its work. And so now we have this latter-day revelation that's being sent to you from God as a kind of a repair on that first gospel. And so you need to add this. Paul says, well, what if that happens? What if the one who led you to Christ preaches to you a different message? 
What if an angel from on high comes with a new revelation? Well, Paul was unsparing in his condemnation of the messenger of such gospel. He said, let him be accursed. And the word translated accursed in our ESV is anathema in the Greek. In spiritual terms, it means damnation. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if I come to you, or if an angel comes to you with any other gospel than the gospel of grace, let us be condemned to hell. And in verse 9, he reiterated the point, broadening it out to include the false teachers that had come teaching the Galatians this false gospel. He repeats himself. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's strong language. The Apostle Paul wants it to be absolutely clear that what has happened is completely unacceptable. The strength of his language seems extreme to some people. Listen to what Jim Boyce says about that. The vehemence with which Paul denounces those who teach another gospel, literally, he says, let them be damned. The vehemence with which Paul denounces those who teach another gospel has bothered some commentators, as well as some other readers of the letter. But Boyce goes on to observe, this shows how little the gospel of grace is understood and appreciated. Boyce says the reason some people are bothered by that is because they have not yet been gripped by the marvel of the gospel of grace. They haven't yet understood how good the gospel of grace is, how perfect it is. And so they come along and they say, well, that's a strong statement. And Boyce continues on. He says another problem is it also shows, the vehemence against this also shows how little, middle, how little many Christians are concerned for the advance of biblical truth. In other words, he says, another reason why people are disturbed by this is because they're not really concerned about truth. They don't really concern, are not really concerned that the truth that they're hearing be the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Now, Boyce continues his thought, and he gives us the doctrinal point that's behind these two verses. He says the Galatians had to learn that any attempt to alter the true gospel is culpable and that any who go about teaching another gospel will be condemned. When I served in Paraguay, I had the occasion to take our oldest son to the hospital for an x-ray. He had had an accident on the basketball court at school, and they were afraid perhaps his ankle was broken, so we took him there. And as he was being x-rayed, I found myself sitting beside a Mormon missionary who was waiting to have an x-ray made on something that she had injured. Now, frankly, I knew almost nothing firsthand about Mormonism in those days. And so I thought, well, this is my opportunity to find out what these folks are all about. So I used the opportunity to ask her about her faith. Now, I have to tell you, she was a very pleasant young woman. And she very eagerly explained to me that she had volunteered to be a missionary because ever since she was a little girl, she had dreamed of doing mission work outside of the United States. She seemed like a very good-hearted individual. And if I recall correctly, she wasn't obligated by her faith to serve as a missionary, but she had made a special effort to volunteer to be accepted uh, for mission service overseas. So I asked her what she was teaching, and I asked her specifically 
what the Mormon church teaches uh, as an understanding of the way to salvation. How do we understand, how do they understand what salvation is and how one enters into it? And she was very happy to explain to me her understanding. And she said something like this. She said, well, you work hard and you do everything you can to be saved. And then Jesus supplies whatever you can't supply for yourself. Now, you'll immediately see, of course, that this is a classic expression of law as a means of salvation rather than grace. It's exactly the thing that we're talking about tonight, isn't it? Later, when I returned to the United States for furlough, you can imagine how surprised I was to learn that there were some evangelicals that were saying that Mormonism was simply a variant form of true Christianity. Now, I wonder how that squares with my friend's classic statement of the kind of false gospel that we're discussing tonight. You know, dear ones, false teachers come in some very attractive packages. Sometimes they're very nice people. They come in these attractive packages that make it easy to believe the message that they're peddling is simply a variant form of the true gospel. Bob Dylan wrote a song about this some years ago. He said, sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace. <laughs> you know, Dylan didn't get much right, but in that line, he spoke the truth. When Satan wants to deceive Christians, he doesn't waste his time using atheists. Those who preach atheism are, his, are Satan's tool to keep his own ranks deceived. No, no. When he wants to fool Christians... He invests in those who appear to be real, but in fact are false. They come from respectable schools and churches. They look and sound like others who have helped us grow in Christ. They quote plenty of scripture. They mix truth in with their falsehoods. They appeal to what we want to believe is true, but in reality, they're peddling a pathway to hell. Anyone who claims to be a faithful teacher of the word isn't, Excuse me, let me restate that. Everyone who claims to be a faithful teacher of the word isn't. And the consequences for peddling a false gospel, as we see in this text, are sobering. So how can you tell who's telling the truth and who isn't? And what's the medicine that we need to keep from falling into the trap? Well, let's read on in verse 10. In verse 10, we find that the strong medicine for the disease is plain truth. Paul makes it plain in these verse, in this verse, and in the verses that we've read before, verses 8 and 9, that he was in no mood to appeal to the Galatians' human way of thinking. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat anything. He was being direct and honest. His only priority was to tell them the truth. Listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You see, these false teachers had come to Galatia, but they were all about serving their own interests. Later in the book we read in 4.17, they, the false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. Shut you out from what, Paul? Shut you out from the real gospel. Why do they want to do that? so that they may make much, you may make much of them. In other words, so that they can take advantage of you. The false teachers were all about their own interests. 
So the strong language used by the apostle in these verses shows that his interest is in no way to make himself agreeable to his readers. Do men-pleasers pronounce anathemas against those who teach false gospels? Rather, what he's saying is that he didn't want to please men as opposed to pleasing God. You see, here's the secret, and here's the cure, and here's the medicine. Paul realized that the only way to combat falsehood is by telling the unvarnished truth, even when those you're trying to help may not appreciate your frankness. As the ESV Study Bible observed, Paul poses two absolutely incompatible goals, pleasing man or pleasing God. There is no possibility of combining the two. Faithful ministry is marked by telling the truth, whether people want to hear it or not, and the truth is the only medicine against falsehood. You know, there are some diseases that can only be treated with strong medicine or painful surgeries. And often the side effects of these treatments are so so painful, so difficult, that they make us wonder if the medicine's worse than the disease. Nevertheless, we submit ourselves to those painful treatments because we want to be healed from our sickness. We're willing to go through the pain so that we can be made better. Those who are caught up in a false gospel need to take the strong medicine of truth even when it comes at the cost of personal pain to listen. In our day, there are shysters abounding, tempting believers to wander off into the false gospels of ritualism, moral accommodation, Christian nationalism, and prosperity theology. How can we keep from falling into these traps? Well, the strong medicine of biblical doctrine taught by spirit-filled shepherds is our only sure defense. We must not shrink from taking the medicine that God has provided for our spiritual health to be maintained. Are we devoted to the apostles' doctrine? Are we knowledgeable about the truths of the faith that have been passed down to us by faithful men who've gone before? Are we willing to accept what our Bibles tell us about racism, nationalism, anger, worship, poverty, and wealth? You know, at the root of everyone who wanders is a heart that secretly says, God's truth is not enough. But dear ones, God's truth is enough. And the best defense against falling into the trap of walking away from grace and turning back to law is to feed yourself relentlessly on sound Christian doctrine. Although the Galatians appeared to come under the spell spell of these false teachers and had become convinced of their teaching, Paul didn't consider the situation hopeless, as we're going to see as we continue our lessons in Galatians. In hopes of recovering his believers, his dear ones, to a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, he fearlessly told them the truth. May many have the courage of this conviction in our day to follow his example. Lord, we thank you for teaching us from your word. We thank you for being straight with us, for being honest with us, and being challenging to us. We pray that you will hear our prayer. We pray that you will receive our heart's desire to be sincere, faithful followers. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. 
Amen. Well, thank you for joining us again tonight. We look forward to seeing you again next week.